1 Samuel 16, let's turn there this morning. We are in a series called Advance, and we've been talking about growing in the kingdom of God. Because I don't know about you, but I want my life to matter. I want my life to mean something. And when I finish my life and I stand before God, which I was thinking about last night laying in bed, uh, just that moment when you stand before God. And just, I was just laying in bed thinking about it and about when you stand before God and your life is looked at and no, no excuses, no reasons, nothing's going to matter. It, he's gonna, it's all going to be unveiled there. What, a, what an amazing moment, but also what a terrifying moment, really, in a way, to have to answer for your life. And it's going to come sooner than later, really, if you think about it. It's going to come sooner than later. Uh, no matter how young you are, it could happen at any moment, number one. Uh, but really, li- our lives are so short. Our lives are so short. The Bible says it's just like a, it's like a breath, just like a, a, a breath of wind. And it's over, and we'll all be standing before God. So my mindset, and I hope your mindset, and what I've tried to get, uh, what I've tried to get our, our church to think about and think like, is let's, since life is so short, let's live our lives for God. Let's dedicate our lives for the Lord and in service of the Lord rather than in service of ourselves. And I hope in the time that you've been at One Life, I hope that there's been a little bit of a switch in your mind for that. Maybe you came here and you were already living like that, or maybe you came and you weren't thinking like that at all, and I hope there's been just a little switch in your time here that you begin to think, you know what, my life is not my own, and I want to live my life for God instead of living my life for myself. There's nothing better to live your life for than for the Lord. Amen? Amen. So, with that in mind, this series advance, what, I, what I'm thinking about is how do we get better so that we're more useful for God? How do we advance? Because a lot of people's prayer is, God, use me, God, use me, God, use me. And my thought is the prayer ought to be, God, make me useful. Because if you're useful, God will use you, period. In other words, when you've qualified, when you've been equipped, when you've been trained, when, you're, when the issues of your heart have been dealt with, when the sin has been dealt with, when the wrong mentalities have been dealt with, when the selfishness has been dealt with... Yeah, he'll use you. That's not a question. He's go- because I can promise you, he doesn't have that many. <laughs> he doesn't have that many. And when you read through the Bible, you find that out. That, yeah, there might have been thousands and thousands and thousands of Israelites, but there was only a handful of people he could use that had really qualified and advanced and been equipped to the point that he could, he could act, they could actually be useful in the hand of God. And I'm hoping not to just have a church with thousands and thousands and thousands of people. I'm hoping to have a church full of people that are useful for God, people that are like sharp tools in the hand of God, that that can accomplish His will and His purpose and His plan on this earth, and that think like that, think like soldiers, think about their life and the plan of God and the will of God that way. So last week we started looking at, really for several weeks, we've been looking at this one issue that's so important, which is surrender, being totally and completely surrendered to God. And a lot of Christians even are not surrendered to God. They're not surrendered to God. They might be partially surrendered to God. They might have certain parts of their life that are surrendered to God. Maybe your Sunday morning at 10 10 o'clock, that that window, that two-hour window is surrendered to God. They go, well, I go to church every Sunday. Good. You've got a two-hour slot 
out of a seven-day week that's surrendered. That's, that's good. That's a start. That's saying something. But that doesn't say anything about all the other days and all the other uh, weeks and all the other parts of your life. Yes, you give this part to God and you come and it's surrendered. That's great. But you know what? All of our life, every day of our life, every moment, every decision, every interaction between people ought to be surrendered to God. And one of the dominant thoughts on our mind throughout our day and throughout our life ought to be, what is God thinking? What does God think about this? What does God think about what I did, how I said, how I acted? What does He think about it? Not because I'm scared of God. Not because I'm scared of God. Because I love God. And I want to please God. And I want to be more like Him. And I want to be more useful for Him. And I am a servant to Him that every day I'm going, God, what do you, what do you want? What do you want to do in my life? That's a process. And every one of us in this room are in a different part of that process. And just please don't think just because you're here this morning that we're all, oh, well, we're all surrendered to God. No. That, no. No. Trust me, no. There's, there's people, and every, per, every person's at a different part of that surrender process. So that's why last week and the last couple of weeks we started looking at King Saul. Now what I want you to remember about King Saul is King Saul had a powerful call of God on his life. In other words, there were lots of things that God wanted for him that never happened. In other words, it was a call. But just because you have a call, that's why the Bible says many are called, but few are chosen. So, you go, well, I have a call of God on my life. Welcome to the club. Everyone has a call of God on their life. That's why I say many are called. Many are called. There, there's lots of calls that just followed people right to the grave. They were never realized. They were never realized because they never qualified for that call. And you go, well, I don't know if I'm called. No, you're called. You might be called to be a mom. You might be called to be a dad. You might be called to lead your family well. You might be called to be a leader in your community. It doesn't mean you're called to ministry. But no, you have a purpose and a plan why God put you here. There's, there's no bench warmers in God's kingdom. No, no one just doesn't serve a purpose. You know, I played basketball all through high school. There's a few people on the team. Honestly, I don't know if they had a purpose. I mean, even in practice, they didn't help us. I don't know why they were there. But that's not that way in God's kingdom. Everyone is useful. Everyone has a purpose. So you got to so make sure, just make sure. I'm just I'm just reminding you. I know you know this, but make sure that you're thinking like that. Don't ever think, well, that one he's a pastor or he's and so he has a special call. Everyone has a call and everyone's call is important. Everyone's call is important. And there's no one person in the kingdom that could do what they're called to do without lots of other people around them doing what they're called to do. I mean, I stand in amazement every week at, you know, the, the between 50-plus volunteers that show up and make everything that happens here on a Sunday happen. What is that? That's people walking in their call. We couldn't have worship. We couldn't have meeting. We couldn't have lights on. We couldn't have children. We couldn't have ministry. We couldn't have coffee bar. couldn't have parking. We team... That, those are people going, you know what, I'm going to sacrifice my time and live my call out for God. And, but that has to carry even beyond Sunday. You know, that has to be every day we wake up, how do I serve the kingdom? And I have to help, my, sometimes I've got to help myself because I'll get, I'll get in ruts, you know, and, and I'll put reminders because every day I work off of a, of a list and sometimes I'll put things at the top of that list. Who can you show the love of God to today? And that's the first thing on my list, because if I, maybe I'm not naturally thinking that way, and I need a kind of a kick in the head to remind me, hey, you're supposed to be loving people. 
And I go, okay, who can I? And then I'll, out of that, the Holy Spirit begin to talk to me, and I can call or text or reach out to somebody. Or, you know, so it's, but it is, it's being intentional to realize that every day you live a life in service of the Lord. Saul wasn't like that. So we looked at Saul's life, and we, we realized we had a man that had a tremendous call, tremendous gifting, could, tremendous natural ability, uh, tremendous charisma. Lots of people wanted to follow Saul, but there was this one area of his life that ended up short-circuiting the whole thing, and that was that he wasn't surrendered to God. And that one thing ended up, ended up costing him everything. And so, in the book of 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, you get this story of Saul and David over and over again. It's a huge, huge chunk of Scripture, huge passage, of, huge portion of Scripture devoted to these two men. And again, in Chronicles, uh, it just tells this, basically just tells the story again from a little bit different angle, almost like the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's the same story told from different perspectives. And, and same thing in the Old Testament. You get 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st, 2nd Kings, and then 1st, 2nd Chronicles just starts to retell this, this story and adds different layers and different points, all devoted to these two men. Because one man did it right and one man did it wrong. One man, and neither of them were perfect, but one of them was surrendered to God and one of them was not surrendered to God. If I, if I could venture to say, would y'all agree, we have people in this room that are surrendered to God and people in this room that are not surrendered to God. That's, that's a reality of the Christian world. We have people in this room that are surrendered to God. People in this room not surrendered to God. People in this room that are thinking about surrendering to God. People in this room that God's been dealing with them about surrendering and they're having a hard time. And this is what I'm telling you is without that surrender, without you completely surrendering your life to God, your impact will be very small in this world. Even if it looks large, even if it looks large to, to man, your real impact for the kingdom will be very small if you're not totally surrendered to God. So we looked at Saul. If you missed it, go back and, and listen to him. This week we're going to start looking at David for a couple weeks maybe. Let's start in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1. The Bible gives this phrase about David. It says that he was a man after God's own heart. And actually when we get that phrase, it's when Saul is being rejected. Samuel comes to Saul, and, and, and God looks at him and he says, You've been rejected because you're not, basically you're not surrendered. You don't, you're not listening to what I said. You're not following my, my words and my ways. You didn't take my instruction serious. And he said, so I have found for myself a man after my own heart. That's what God said about David. And what an amazing thing to be said about you by God. I have found a man that is like me. What does that mean to be after a man after God's own heart? Well, I think it means that you would do what God would do. Or you, you think like God would think about that situation. In other words, you don't have God seeing it this way and you're so far over here seeing it this way. Or God would do this and you're totally out in left field doing something else. Everybody, anybody ever had an employee like that or somebody worked under you like that? You're like, you've been working with me for five years and you didn't know that this is how I would have handled that? You're over here doing this? That don't make any sense. That's not, you're not after my heart. You got something else going on. And that's what God was saying about David. He said, David is like a man after my own heart. 
He's like a man after my own heart. He, he thinks like I think. He does what I would do. He's in line with my thoughts and my, my thinking. So, 1 Samuel 16, 1, David gets anointed. Now, at this point, remember, nobody knew David. David was nothing special at all, even in his own eyes. He, he didn't, it's not like he looked at himself, man, I could be king. I've got those qualities. I'm, I'm good. I could be king. He didn't see himself that way. But God was looking at him, and he was watching him. He was in a training process. He was in a qualification process. 1 Samuel 16, 1, the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Verse 6. We won't read the whole thing because we'd be here a while. But verse 6, when they came, so the sons come, when they came, Samuel looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Now remember Samuel, Samuel is a man after God's own heart. Samuel is very in tune with God. If you read Samuel's life, he's very in tune with God. Yet he still looks at Eliab and he thinks, this is this got to be him because he's looking on the outside. He's looking at the natural qualifications but the Lord said to Samuel this this a very powerful lesson do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him that almost makes me think that he was in consideration but he got rejected because it wasn't like he just said he wasn't selected no he actually was rejected in, in other words I looked at him but he was rejected maybe he was an option but he was rejected do not look on his appearance on the sight, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. The Lord looks on the heart. Pray, and aren't you glad for that, that the Lord looks on the heart? Man, praise God that he knows our Heart. So apparently, the, one, the thing that qualified David was something about his heart. The thing that qualified David was something about his heart. And I know this is very elementary, we all know this, but it wasn't his skill. It wasn't his ability. It wasn't because he was a great psalmist and a songwriter. It wasn't because he was a great shepherd or a great warrior. He was those things, but that's not what qualified him. Eliab may have been those things. Saul was those things. That's not what qualified him. He said, he said, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. In other words, it's something about his heart that has qualified him. And that's kind of hard to put your finger on, isn't it? If you go, well, that person, they have a good heart. You know, that's hard to quantify. Versus saying, man, that person's handsome, or that person's good at this. It's like, it's quantifiable. But to look at someone and say, well, they have a good heart. That's really hard to quantify that. It's hard to make that concrete, yet that's the thing that God was looking at, and that's the thing that qualified David was his heart. What is the heart? I mean, if it, if it was the thing that qualified David before God, what is the heart? When he says, he's a, he's a man after my own heart, or I didn't look at the outward appearance, but I'm looking at his heart, and that's what's qualified him, what is the heart? I mean, one of the definitions we get in Scripture is the Spirit, but I don't think that that's really what this is talking about. 
When you think about a heart, it has so much to do with motives. So much to do with motives. It has to do with the real you. That's why the Bible says one of the ways you can identify what's in a person's heart is through their words. He says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, meaning what is really at your core and the root of who you are will eventually come out through your mouth. And, it, and also it will eventually come out in your actions as well. But God is looking at David's heart. So apparently there was, there was something about his heart that, that qualified him before God. What is in the heart of a person generally has to be discovered, even, even to the person themselves. Like if I said, what's in your heart? Do you have a good heart? <laughs> I remember this one story in the Bible where a prophet came to a, a man who was going to be king. The guy didn't know he was going to be king. And prophet came to him, and the prophet started crying. And the man said, why are you crying? He said, because I see what you're going to do to all of Israel. And the man was a nobody. He was like, sir, I think you got it wrong. You don't even know who you're talking to. He's like, I'm a nobody. I, I have no power, no influence, no authority. Yet the prophet got a glimpse of his future. Now, in the future, what he ended up doing was destroying Israel. He was a horrible king. He was wicked. He was violent. See, but all that was in his heart. Think, think about that, guys. That was already in his heart, walking around as a nobody, farmer, nobody special. All that was already in his heart. And when he got power and when he got authority, it drew out what was already in his heart. It drew it out of him. And that's why people say that, you know, power and authority, those things reveal what's in your heart. Well, it's, it's, it's already there. It just hasn't manifested yet. And so that was the case with Saul. That was the case with David. David's on the shepherd. He's on the battlefield. And when he got into a place of authority and in a place of power, what was in his heart was it came out. You know, it's like if you have an orange and you squeeze it, then the juice comes out. And our, our hearts are like that in a sense, not our physical heart, that's gross, but I mean, it's partly like that. If you squeeze us, pressure, right? Pressure, stress, places of power, places of authority, places of influence, money, those things put the squeeze on the human heart and what's in there, it comes out. But God doesn't need those things to reveal what's in a person's heart. He already knows what's in his heart. That's why he could look at Eliab and reject him before he ever did or didn't do anything. He said, I can look at you and tell what's in your heart. God doesn't need the human heart to be squeezed to see what's in it. He can just look at it and tell what's already in it. So he looked at David before David had really done anything good or bad. And he said, that's a man after my own heart because he already knew what was in David's heart. You know God knows what's in your heart. God knows your past, present, and future. He knows what you would do if you had power or you had place of influence or you were over others or you had money or you had fame. God would know. God knows what would already happen with that because he knows what's in your heart. So same thing here. Now I want to look at a couple instances of David's life that's going to reveal to us his heart. Uh, things that, again, he probably didn't even know about himself. So the first one is in 1 Samuel chapter 24. And Saul <clears throat> has been pursuing David on and off for months and years at this point. 
the total time that Saul pursued David and tried to kill him was about seven to eight years. So seven to eight years of David's life, he's on the run from Saul. Now, if that didn't tell you what was in Saul's heart, think about that. God came to Saul and said, Saul, you've been rejected. Somebody with the right heart would have said, God, I repent. I'm sorry. I messed up. I'll do whatever you want me to do. If you want to give the kingdom to David, go ahead. I made a mistake. No, that's not what Saul did. He knows it's not God's will for him to be king anymore. He knows that David is the next anointed king. He doesn't care. He's doing everything he can do to hold on to power now. So he pursues David for seven years to try to kill him, even though he knows that he's been rejected and David's been anointed to be king. And so that's just further revealing what was already in Saul's heart. But through those seven years, we begin to find out what was in David's heart. We begin to find out what was going on in his heart. So the first instance, 1 Samuel 24, uh, this is about the middle of that time period. So this is probably three or four years into David being pursued by Saul. 1 Samuel 24, 1, when Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goat's rocks. That's not a bar, that's a place in the... And he came to the sheepfolds, by the way, where there was a cave... And Saul went in to relieve himself. Now, this is interesting. Because David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. So you have this wild, what are the chances? What are the odds of this? If this isn't a divine setup, I don't know what is. This is, this is like just the perfect setup for the situation. David and 3,000 men are going through the wilderness. There's caves everywhere, rocks everywhere, mountains everywhere. They don't know exactly where David is. All of a sudden, Saul gets an urge. Urge of nature. Doesn't tell us exactly which one, okay? Just, he goes to relieve himself, all right? He goes into the cave. But I have my suspicions because of what happens next. But... Think about this. There's no, chance. There's no way for this to happen by chance. This is, this is a total divine setup. Saul goes into the cave to have a moment of privacy. He doesn't know that David and his mighty men, like, these are like the strongest, baddest warriors on the planet. If you don't know about David's mighty men, you've got to go read these stories in 1st, 2nd Samuel and Kings and Chronicles. These guys are bad to the bone. All right? One of them could take out 300 at a time. So these guys are bad to the bone. They're in the cave. Saul, in a very, we'll say, vulnerable position in the cave, David and his men are in hiding, and here's what happens, verse 4. The men of David said to him, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. So the guys around him are saying, David, could this be more obvious that this is from God? What are the chances of this happening in, in, in this moment? All you literally have to do, you just throw a rock at the back of his head. This is so easy. He, God obviously is doing this. But I want to say this to you. Every opportunity does not mean that it's from God. Just because you have an opportunity 
And I've seen people fall with this. I've seen people mess this up in their lives. And they, they look at the natural and they go, but look at all this stuff that's lining up. I've prayed for this. I've asked for this. This door opened. This person did this. It's so obvious from God. Just because you have an opportunity doesn't mean that it's from God. It could be a test. It could be a test to see what's in your heart. That's what this was. I mean, you could have, you, can, you, can you see how David could have so easily talked himself in to killing Saul? I mean, he's in the cave. Saul comes in. The man's been pursuing me for three to four years. I'm innocent. I know God's anointed me to be king. God's rejected him. All the men around me are saying, this is the moment. Can you see how easy it would have been to talk yourself into this and go, this is obviously from God. I'm laying the dude out. That you can see. But there was something else in David's heart. you got to see this. If anything else had been in David's heart, Saul would have been a dead man. Reality was, Saul was a dead man anyway. you got to understand, if you read the whole story... Saul was already a dead man. He, he was like a dead man walking because the judgment of God had already been executed on Saul. That wasn't a question. That was coming. That moment had already been set up. But now David's heart's being tested. And God's finding out what's in your heart. What, what are you going to do in this moment? Are you going to pass this test? And David's finding out what's in his heart as well. So the guys around him, they say, behold... Uh, you know, this is the moment God gave us. And so then David, this is uh, the end of verse 4. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterward, David's heart struck him. So there we go again with David's heart. So he goes and he cuts off a corner of, of Saul's robe. He sneaks up, cuts off the corner. And the purpose of that is to show Saul, look. I cut off a corner of your robe if it just had been as easy for me to stab you in the back of the throat. So this proves that I'm not trying to kill you. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to take your throne. Because if I wanted to do it, I could have done it right now. So he, that's all he's trying to do. So he cuts off a corner of his robe, and the Bible says his heart struck him. And immediately, he's convicted. Now, again, what I know about most people is they just overrode that. They, just, they would have ignored that. They would go, well, I don't know where that's coming from, but that's stupid. I ain't feeling bad about this. And they would have talked themselves right out of it. I ain't feeling bad about doing that. I didn't do nothing wrong. This man's been pursuing me all over the country. All I did was cut a piece of his robe off. I didn't do anything wrong. They would have just, they'd have got more and more bold with it, louder and louder. And yet that still small voice was trying to say, that's not the path I have for you. You don't need to defend yourself. Even, even by cutting off the robe and showing him, you don't need to defend yourself. I'm going to defend you. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. So, that was, David was not, you've got to understand, David was not even authorized to lay a hand on Saul's robe. He did it out of his own decision, and immediately his heart struck him. Praise God, he was so close to the Lord that even when he did that, that little thing struck his heart. And he, and he sensed it. He knew it. He, he did it. And he's like, mm, that, that is out of step with how God's calling me to live. That is out of step with what, what God's asking of me in this situation. But a lot of people are not even, they're, they're not in tune with that. They're not sensitive enough to that, that their heart, they wouldn't have felt a thing. Because their heart is hard. 
They're not used to thinking like that. But see, this is the heart of a man who's so surrendered to God that even when I cut off a piece of the robe, my, my heart is so tender and sensitive it can feel, oh, that's not right. Shouldn't have done that. So David arose, deadly cut off a corner of Saul's robe, and afterward his heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And he said to his men, the Lord, listen to what you're listening to that, that what Jesus said about out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You're about to get the outflow of David's heart. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord. This guy who's trying to kill him. The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed. You see, this is how he sees Saul. The Lord, he's the Lord's anointed. To put out my hand against him, seeing that he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. What does David mean when he says that he's the Lord's anointed? When, when he says Saul is the Lord's anointed, here's what he's really saying. That man is not my servant. He's the Lord's servant. And who am I to lay my hand on him or to pass judgment on him or worse, to execute judgment on him because he's not my servant. He's the Lord's servant and he's somebody who the Lord has anointed. Again, remember, Saul already had a death sentence. Saul, Saul's going to die in just a few short years. By According to the judgment of God, he's going to die. But... David was not allowed to be the one to execute that judgment. How many times in our lives, this is a, another sermon, but how many times in our lives do we want to give payback? We want to make sure somebody gets what's coming to them. And it's, it's not a question, are they going to get what's coming to them and, or, or are they going to reap what they sow? The question is, are you going to be the one to make sure that they get what they sow or that they reap what they sow? Because then now, if you do that, now you have your own stuff to answer for. See, this is how it works. So you go, well, they need to get what's coming to them. That might be true. That doesn't mean you're supposed to be the one to execute it. And many times, by being the one to execute it, now you're sowing your own seeds, and you're, you're bringing to things in your life that are going to be held accountable. Because... The Bible says any standard that you judge somebody else by is going to be applied to you. So when you hold somebody else and you stick it to somebody else, just make sure your own closet is clean because now you're bringing all that. But the Bible says that love covers a multitude of sin. Meaning that when I walk in love towards people, a whole multitude of my own sin gets shown love and mercy and grace. Again, that's a whole other sermon, but David understood this. And so, he goes, I know judgment's coming on Saul. That's not a question. The question is, am I going to be the one to execute that judgment? And see, that takes a heart of surrender. We've been talking about surrender. That takes a heart of surrender where you're so surrendered to God, where the thing that you want to do most, and you've got to put yourself in David's situation because he's been running for three years living in caves, living in the wilderness. Just when they get settled, 3,000 men from Saul come. You've got to move up, hide, run, arrows flying by your head. He's been on the run for three. And with one stroke of his hand, he can end it all. With one stroke of his hand, he can put the whole thing to rest. But this is a man that's so surrendered to God that he says, I won't do one thing without getting permission from you first. 
I won't, I won't do one thing without, and even when he did the one little thing of cutting off his robe, his heart struck him. And he said, I didn't have permission to do that. And I know I didn't have permission to do that. And my heart struck me. There are some, there are some people, though, that they're not surrendered to God at all, so they don't, they, their heart doesn't get struck like that. Because they're not surrendered to God. So they don't, don't you think Saul's heart should have been striking him as he was chasing David all over the country in seven years? Don't you think David should, I don't think Saul should have ever came to his senses and be like, man, something doesn't feel right about this. (laughs) Chasing this guy all over the country, you know. His heart never struck him, or if it did, we don't hear about it, and he couldn't even feel it if it did. Well, how do you get a heart like David? How do you, how do you, how, if you have a hard heart or an insensitive heart, how do you get a tender heart before the Lord? I mean, it's very simple. It, it, comes through, it comes through daily decisions to obey God, to hear and obey. Either the Word of God, see something in His Word and go, I didn't know that. I'm going to start doing that. I'm going to start living that way. And through every time you obey, either the Word of God or the prompting of your your spirit, your conscience, every time you obey, your heart gets softer and softer and more sensitive to the Lord. Every time you disobey, it gets harder. It gets more like a rock. And you can't hear. The Bible calls it your conscience being seared or having a hard heart. The Bible talks about having a hard heart versus having a soft, tender heart like David. Every time you obey, it gets easier and easier to hear, and it gets easier and easier to be sensitive to what God's doing. If you have an area of your life that you're just living every day in disobedience, all right, this is not to bring condemnation, but there are some people that they know, you know, there's areas of your life. This is in violation of God's Word. Every day that you live with that going on, your heart is getting harder and harder and harder. That's, it's, it's a dangerous place to live in where you know what the Word of God says, but you keep living this way day in, day out, day after day. Your heart is getting harder and harder and harder to eventually, the Bible says, you can get to a place where you can't even find repentance. Not because repentance is not there for you from God, but your heart can't reach a place of repentance because you don't feel anymore. You don't feel what David was talking about, where his heart struck him. So... David, you see, this is a man who understands that he's not in charge of his own life. He has that revelation down pat. He, I'm not in charge of my own life. And he knows that. And he lives like that. This is a man who is used to yielding to someone higher than him on a regular basis. So in that moment, he can sense, he can feel that this isn't right. Okay, second instance, 1 Samuel 26 very, very similar to the first one. First Samuel 26, 5. Then David rose and came to the place where Saul had encamped. They come up on the, the encampment of Saul. David saw the place where Saul lay with Abner, the son of Ner, the commander of his army. Saul was lying within the encampment while the army was encamped around him. Verse 6. Then David said to Ahimelech the Hittite and to Joab's brother Abishai, these are some of David's mighty men, who will go down with me into the camp to Saul. So imagine this, the whole, you know, David may have three, four hundred men. Saul has thousands laying out. They're all asleep. 
And David wants to hike in to the camp, sneak into the camp. And, and he asks, who wants to go with me? Who will go down with me to the camp? And Abishai said, I will go down with you. So David and Abishai went to the army by night. And there lay Saul sleeping within the encampment with his spear stuck in the ground at his head. And Abner and the army lay around him. Then Abishai said to David, God has given your enemy into your hand this day. Do you see that how similar this is to the first one? He's going through this same test again. He's going through this same process again. Are you going to end this? This, is, this would have been some months, maybe years even later than the first one. Are you going to end this? Are you going to take this into your own hand and, and force it? What are you going to do? His heart's being tested. And the people around him, they don't get it. They're not in tune with it. So Abishai, is one of David's closest men, says, God has given your enemy into your hand this day. Now please let me pin him to the earth with one stroke of the spear, and I will not strike him twice. In other words, I am good at what I do, and I will not have to do it twice. Just, it'll be quick and painless. Just let me do it. But David said to Abishai, do not destroy him. For who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? And David said, as the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him. Let, please listen to this. This is David's mentality. As the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him, or his day will come to die, or he will go down into battle and perish. But I'm not going to put my hand to him. That's what he's saying. In other words, this is the, I know what is the Lord's business and what is my business, and I don't get those two things intertwined. And when God's not moving like I think he ought to be moving or not moving as fast, I don't get over in his area and start taking over stuff that's his. I know my role, and I know God's role, and it's not my role to enact judgment on this guy, on the Lord's anointed. And so he says, I, he, he, look, Either the Lord will strike him down, or his day will come to die, or he will go down and perish in battle. But I'm not putting my hand to it. Now, please understand, this is revealing something about David's heart. This is revealing something about his character. This is revealing something about the very core of who David is. It's not about that he didn't strike the Lord's anointed. That It's just showing up. In this instance, but this, this shows his whole life, his character, the way he thought. Again, this is a man who's yielded to God. I want to show you one more instance because it doesn't have anything to do with the Lord's anointed or not killing Saul, and it, but it still shows his heart. 2 Samuel 15, 30. Now, this is way past, all right? We were in 1 Samuel. Now we're in 2 Samuel. Every, there's been tons, really decades, that have transpired now. Now, David is king. Now Saul is dead. David's been king for years. His kingdom is well established. God has blessed him. The kingdom has grown. He's got servants. He's got gold. He's got kids, uh, you know, everywhere. He is blessed on every side. Now a totally different situation. You see, his heart was tested by having nothing through persecution. Now his heart's being tested by being blessed and having plenty. Lots of things that, that can test your heart. Not just difficult times that can test your heart. Good times can test your heart too. Having power, having authority, having wealth can test your heart as well. 
So now his heart's being tested again. And actually, this is, this is a little bit more than a test. Part of this is actually punishment. Because y'all remember the incident of uh, David and Bathsheba? Where David committed adultery with Bathsheba and then killed her husband? That was a moment where he was not a man after God's own heart. That one, he fell off the wagon for a minute. But it was just that. It was a moment it wasn't actually his character. It was a, it was a moment where he, where he failed. There was a difference. That wasn't his heart. It was a moment where he did that and he repented. And there was severe consequences because of that. And this is one of those consequences where David has his own son, Absalom, turn on him and try to take the whole kingdom from him. It's devastating. And David, for better or worse... He couldn't, he just could not shut Absalom down. Now, Absalom had nothing to do, nothing like his father's heart. David is being, <laughs> David's being pursued by Saul and won't even, feels bad about cutting the robe, won't touch the Lord's anointed. His own son, David hadn't done anything to him but bless him. He comes after him and tries to take the whole kingdom from him. So Absalom comes and he's, he's taking the whole kingdom and David could have crushed Absalom. David could have destroyed Absalom, but he knows that this is part of the judgment of the Lord. You got to see this pattern is throughout David's whole life. You see it throughout his whole life. He knows that this is part of the punishment of sin because Nathan the prophet told him that someone in his own house would rise up against him for his sin with Bathsheba. He knew this was, unlike Saul, he didn't fight it. He didn't kill Absalom. He didn't crush Absalom. He yielded to it and he surrendered to it as someone who was yielded and surrendered to the Lord. In other words, I'm surrendered to you, Lord, whatever you have planned for me. If, if I have to walk out punishment for what, I, for what I did and that's your will and that's your plan, I'm ready because I'm yielded to you and I'm surrendered to you. That was his heart. Same reason he wouldn't kill Saul now He's not killing Absalom. He's on the other end of it. Before he was on the low end, King Saul was on the high. Now he's on the high end and Absalom on the low and he won't even crush. He won't even crush Absalom. And I get that it was his son which could have made it more difficult. But really it's because he's yielded to God. He's yielded to the Lord. He's totally surrendered to the Lord. And you're going to see that even further. Second uh, Samuel 15, 30. So David and all of his house and all the men that were with him, they know Absalom's coming they pack up out of the castle, and they leave, and they, they head off into the hills, and they let Absalom come in and just take over the whole city. Verse 30, uh, 2 Samuel 15, 30. But David went up the ascent of the Mount, Olives, Mount of Olives, weeping as he went, barefoot with his head covered, and all the people who were with him covered their heads. They went up weeping as they went. And they should be, because this is devastating. All of his people are hiking up the mountain. Their heads are covered. They're weeping. They're barefoot. They're hiking up the mountain. They're leaving the city just to give it over to Absalom. Now, as they went, chapter 16, verse 5, as they went, there was an incident that happened that's going to even further show you David's heart and his yieldedness and his surrender to God. 2 Samuel 16, 5, when King David came to Behurim, there came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, and the son of Gera. And as he came, he cursed continually 
and he threw stones at David and all the servants of King David and all the people and all the mighty men of David were on his right hand and on his left. And Shimei said as he cursed, Get out, get out, you man of blood, you worthless man. The Lord has avenged on you all the blood of the house of Saul in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son. See, your evil is on you. You are a man of blood. Verse 9, then Abishai, you remember him? He was the guy next to David when he wanted to strike him with the spear right through the heart. He's still with him, still ready to, still ready to kill. Then Abishai, son of Zeruiah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over and take off his head. I like this guy. I wish we had a few more around here like that. But... The king said, What have I to do with you, you son of Zeruiah? If he is cursing because the Lord has said to him, Curse David, who then shall say, Why have you done so? Think about this. David is in a weak moment. He's humiliated. They're weeping. They're going up the mountain. And all of a sudden, this guy comes over the hill and starts throwing rocks at David. He's one guy. Starts throwing rocks at David, cursing David. Doesn't know anything about He's off base, throwing rocks, you know, cursing David. And you got guys all around you say, let me just go chop his head off. And it would have been nothing for David to say, yeah, that would be one bright spot in my day. I've had a rough day, just go get him. No, he said, what if, li listen to his mindset. He said, no, hold on a minute. What if that he's cursing me <clears throat> because the Lord has said to him to curse David? See, he's so yielded and surrendered to God that he says, well, what if God's involved in this? What if God's involved in his cursing of me? I'm not going to put my, my hand to it. So he said, what if the Lord has said to him, curse David, who then shall say, why have you done so? And David said to Abishai and to all his servants, behold, my own son seeks my life. How much more now may this Benjamite leave him alone and let him curse? For the Lord has told him to. It may be, again, I'm sorry, I know I keep stopping and interrupting. I just, but his mindset, I mean, I guess it's okay if you interrupt yourself. I, I'm the one talking, but anyway. His mindset was so amazing. Look at, look at how he depends on God to take care of him. He says, let him alone and let him curse. For the Lord has told him to. It may be that the Lord will look on the wrong done to him and that the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing today. So David and his men went on the road while Shimei went along on the hillside opposite him and cursed as he went and threw stones at him and flung dust. <laughs> I don't know how long this went on. <laughs> I kind of would have loved to see that. The guy just going throwing rocks and dust and, you know, cursing at him and picking up just mile after mile. And David's mindset was, if I handle this right, okay, and, and I yield to this, I surrender to this wrong treatment, it may be that the Lord gets involved. It may be that the Lord looks at my response and looks at my reaction and brings good on my life that I could have never brought about by my own hand. And this is such a powerful lesson. We've, we've looked at it with Saul. We've looked at it, you know, two instances with Saul. We've looked at it with how he did Absalom and how he treated this guy. 
But in every instance, you see this mindset of a man who understands my life is not my own. I'm, I'm used to yielding to God. I'm used to listening. I'm used to being sensitive. I don't just act on impulse. I don't just, I don't just act because it's my life and I'm the king and I can do what I want. He's a man that's totally surrendered and yielded to God, even when it's negative, even when it's something that he wouldn't want. But he goes, maybe God wants this, so I'm going to yield to it and I'm going to be submitted to it. And then you see why God chose David. You see, when you, when you see all these things, you begin to understand why God picked David. Because God didn't need some mighty warrior, some powerful CEO to, to lead his kingdom. He just needed a man that was surrendered. He needed a man that was yielded to God and would just do what he said. God says, I can do I can do everything I need to do in the kingdom. I just need a person that will allow me to work through them that can follow instruction, be surrendered, and be yielded to me. Now, as we close this morning, I want us to look inward and I want us to look at ourselves because that's a great, I mean, that's a great story. And praise God, David passed that test. But what about us? What about where we're at? What about your life? What about mine? Are there areas of your life that are not surrendered to God? Are there areas in your life where you're more like Saul than you are like David? Here's what I know. If there are, the Holy Spirit will reveal those things to you. The Holy Spirit will reveal it to you through a sermon. If you're so far you can't, you can't hear from the Spirit, you can hear it in a sermon. You can hear it from the Word of God. You can read it. You can hear it from a book. God will send somebody across your path to help you see it. But when you see it, you have to yield. And you have to surrender. And most importantly, you have to repent. You have to repent for, for acting like your life is your own life. You have to repent for acting like you're in charge. When you're not. God is. And God will never, he'll, he'll never come in and force that upon anyone. That's something that we offer to Him as an as a act of worship. We offer our lives as an act of worship, as a living sacrifice to God. And, and that's what, when we say those words in worship, we say, I yield, I surrender to you, God. That's what we're saying. We're saying, as an act of worship, my life is yours. I'm your servant. And all of us, I think all of us uh, can, can improve in that area. And it doesn't matter how much you've been surrendered to God at one point. The question is, where are you at right now? Because just like David, he was surrendered early in his life. But we see even at the end of his life, he was still surrendered. But anywhere along the way, anywhere, anywhere, anywhere along the way, he could have rejected that. He could have gone a different direction. So no matter how mature you are in the Lord or how long you've been walking with the Lord, there's always time and space for you to come back to him and go, Lord, I'm, I'm giving up more ground to you. I'm yielding more of my life and surrendering more of my life to you and and this is the one thing that I've learned with that is it feels like loss but that will always actually be gain when you do that it when you give it and you surrender it it feels like loss at the moment but in reality you're actually gaining ground that's why we call this series advance because it's counterintuitive it feels like loss but this is actually how you gain ground in the kingdom of God <laughs>